grab it again, son. Grab it again. Grab it again. We we talking about that. But you talking about how big it's back. Grab that. Yeah. Your line of questioning isn't it isn't conducive to a good interview. Why is that? It just isn't. It's not going anywhere. You're asking me this. It's, it's, this is, What's wrong with that line of question? It's unfair. They call me the problem, but you can call me the can man, because anybody can get Africans, Americans, Dominicans, Mexicans, anybody can get You're starting to say all these big words. I'm, I'm starting to take it as disrespect. And welcome back to the number one podcast in a sport where... Eddie Hearn's making fights for Scott Fitzgerald before he checks if Scott Fitzgerald has a home to send the contract to. That's the mark of the man. Um, you know, Eddie's putting these fights in Fitzgerald's calendar and Scott Fitzgerald is literally fight, fighting with his demons. And I guess, like I said, that's the mark of the man, right? Eddie just can't help being Eddie. So let's just jump into something that I think is probably far more important. We can come back to Eddie later on. The Canelo Plant fight. You know, a lot, a lot of people are telling me, a lot of people in the DMs telling me this might be Canelo's hardest test. It's this, it's this, it's that. And I kept saying to people, this is a routine defense for Canelo. This is just easy for him. It's a routine fight. He's going to go through the motions, and when he needs to, he'll go through the gears, and he'll get Plant out of there. I was so confident about this. It, it wasn't a 50-50. I don't even think it was an 80-20 fight. You know, and here's the problem boxing fans have. They judge fighters based on their previous two or three performances, right? And that's cool. Oh, he did this. Therefore, he has this in his locker. You think to yourself, hmm, are you really thinking this one through? When you look at Canelo and you look at Caleb Plan, what you see essentially are two people who came from struggle, right? You can't question their backgrounds, their toughness. I don't know who had to eat squirrels to survive or whatever. I don't know any of that. And I'm not here to pry into those details of their lives. But what you know is they didn't come from easy backgrounds. Now, here's the big difference. When it came to boxing, Caleb took the easy road. Canelo took the hard road. And so... That's why you see a kid walk into a boxing ring, 21-0, with every possible question mark over their name. And you see another, you see the opponent walk in. What was Canelo at the time? 59 fights in, uh, probably won about 56, lost one, drew two. Just pause for a second, think about that. You essentially have a 20-fight novice and a 60-fight veteran. That's like Muhammad Ali versus Jerry Quarry. Process that for a second. Canelo Alvarez has had 60 fights against some of the best names to have come through in the last 15 years. He's won some, he's lost some, he's been outclassed in one, been competitive in the rest. Caleb Plant, nothing. Nothing until this point. Gifted a belt and an opportunity. And he paid a heavy price for being a man holding one of the hollowest records you can have as a world champion. 
I'll say this until I'm blue in the face. If you don't have enough hard fights from the way up, you'll just get torn apart at the elite level. How many times have we said this about Joshua? When he fights someone who's been there and done it, he gets exposed. He fought Ruiz. Ruiz had done the circuit. Amateur pro, he had done the circuit. And he had done it the hard-ish way. Usyk, same thing. Usyk got to where he is today the hard way. He had to become a disputer at cruiserweight. You can't substitute that long, tough road to the top. Because what happens is, this is what happens, and this is what people weren't looking at. I know with absolute certainty that Canelo Alvarez can execute his best jab at an elite level. And I know this because I saw him do it to Triple G. Now, I can't say that about Caleb Plant because I've seen Caleb Plant do it against, I don't know, Joey Norris from Tubelo, Mississippi. Means nothing to me. What we didn't know because of the way Caleb's been sheltered and protected was at what level do Caleb Plant's skills start to fall apart? At what level is he not highlight reel? And what Canelo showed is when Canelo's in second or third gear, Caleb starts to struggle. When you break down what Canelo does, it's not flashy, it's not spectacular, it's not complicated. For, for people kind of raised in the British system, it's a bit odd because what he does is he, he favours the left side in a way that we don't teach our guys to do in the UK. In the UK, everyone's power hand happy, right? That's really what you're taught. Yeah, you know, Think about the routines that make you do in boxing, right? You throw a one-two, you roll out to your right, you throw a right hand. Yeah, the left hook's an afterthought. And then double jab, right hand, double jab, right hand to the body. Jab, body, big right hand to the head. Everything's designed around getting your power hand into action. Now, here's why that's wrong. How many times can you actually throw that in a fight? If you really think about your power hand, orthodox the orthodox, your power hands lined up against a jab hand. So if they're active with their jab, like you should be active with your jab, most of the time your backhand's used to defend. So actually, I'm spending that much time teaching a punch that you throw, maybe 25% of the time, with the majority of shots coming from your left hand. Do you see what I mean about coaches think they know what they're doing, but when you actually just break it down in numbers terms, they're not dedicating their time to where the most value is. So that's one of the problems, right? But Canelo doesn't have that problem. Canelo understands that lead hand is the one that's closest to the opponent. It should be doing the most damage. Now flip it around and go, okay, what about if an orthodox guy faces a southpaw? Would you want to work on that power hand then? Okay, now your power hand is the furthest away that it could possibly be. Yeah, now there's no value in doing that. So all that stuff you learn, this is why orthodox guys struggle against southpaws. Because they're so reliant on their backhand that they don't realize that actually it's the lead hand side that dictates the, the psychology and the, and the progress of the fight. So just go, just go back to the point. So what Canelo does is really simple. He focuses on the weapon that's closest to the target. He uses all kinds of other things, like sometimes the right hand will come in, but it's opportunistic. And 
Yurosi rarely misses with the right hand because what he's saying is, I'm only going to throw it when I know you're going to give me the opportunity. And so how do you learn that? You learn that coming from a family of, of boxers, pretty good boxers. You learn that by being with the Reynoso family from day one. You learn that over the course of 50-odd fights. And you learn it by getting it wrong sometimes. You also learn it by getting it right. What you don't do is learn how good your craft is by fighting nobodies in resorts and casinos and Indian reservations for 80% of your career. Caleb may have known how talented he was. He didn't know how capable he was. So all that talk was based on facing challenges that most others would have beaten as well. There's no one on, on Thingy's record, on Caleb Plant's record, that guys like Danny Jacobs would have been scared of. We now look at Caleb Plant and say, actually, maybe he should have fought a James DeGale. Maybe he should have fought a George Groves. Maybe he should have fought a John Ryder. He needed that level of competition for me. And he needed that to work out who he really is in the ring. Because talent-wise, I don't think he's that far behind Canelo, but you don't close the gap on 40-odd fights. You don't close the gap on Canelo being the main man in God knows how many fights. The nuance and the subtlety required to be Canelo Alvarez, the guy that sits at the top of this thing we call boxing, is ridiculous because all your interactions take something out of you. It's about how much you choose to give. And Caleb Plant gave more than he should have done. And that's an experience. That's what happens when you're a, a 21 and 0 guy or whatever he was at the time. And so the fight went as you thought it would. Caleb did all the things you've seen him do against lower level opposition. And he was surprised that it had no effect on Canelo. Canelo took some of the shots when he had to. Let a lot of them slip, but he wasn't getting hurt. So he's like, I can take a few of these. Just so I can get close enough to him to do two things. One have him thinking all the time in a way that he's not used to. That's going to drain his energy. And two, always be in a position to launch an attack at any time. And Canelo knew if he did it often enough, he'd grind him down, he'd tire him, and then Caleb would start making mistakes and the openings would present themselves. All Canelo had to do tactically was stay in the fight for eight rounds and make Caleb Plant work for eight rounds. After that, he was going to walk in. And so you look at it from Caleb's perspective, he did everything he could. There was some clever stuff, there was this, there was that. But when that stuff has no effect, you bring stuff in that maybe isn't perfected. Stuff you worked on, the, on in the gym two months ago. Or stuff that you've seen on YouTube. You start second-guessing yourself because you're like, I'm not getting a reaction and I'm running out of tools to use. And so you'd see, you'd see the energy in the world slowly start to drain from, from Caleb Plant. Because Canelo's a hard night's work. People are talking about, well, Caleb will just do to Canelo what Floyd did. And you're like, yeah, but by that point, Floyd was already a Hall of Famer. Floyd was an all-time great by that point already. He had the confidence in his style, his ability, and everything in his arsenal. Because it was tested against the best. He had all of that confidence. And he knew he could go. And do that to Canelo. He had no doubts. 
Caleb kind of possibly have known this. But Canelo knew what he could do. He knew he wasn't going to get knocked out. So he said, okay, I can do the 12 rounds. I can do the 12 rounds at this elite level pace against people who will walk into the Hall of Fame comfortably. And he looked at Caleb and went, can you? And we found by round 11, Caleb couldn't. And when he took that, was it, it was a left hook, wasn't it, from Canelo? You, it wasn't even a hard shot, but it was a surrender where it was just like, I don't have anything left and I'm too proud to just hang on till the bitter end. Because that was a capitulation. To have your opponent running after you and people making fun of Canelo looking like Mike, M- Michael Myers, which I thought, Actually, quite kind of funny because he did. He just ran after him like he was having fun in there. And he just dispatched of Caleb Plant and said, I've dealt with people like you before and I'll deal with people like you again. And so what do you say to that? Like, come back again in a few years. And, and I wouldn't be averse to Caleb Plant having four or five hard fights coming back and facing Canelo. I think this I think the score the scores will be different. I think the margin will be different. I think Caleb Plant will be a different fighter because we won't have all of that nonsense that we see, all the all the flashy stuff. He'll simplify his style and he'll do what Canelo does. He'll build his platform on toughness. You're not gonna knock me out. You're not gonna hurt me. But I'm always gonna be here within mid range. I'm gonna be here. Ready to attack at any moment. And you're going to be stressing and you're going to be panicking and you're going to be burning up all of this nervous energy because you cannot figure me out. Not only can you not figure me out, I'm not going to let you figure me out. So, good luck. You know, there was that moment in, I think it was round, was it round eight or round nine? And that indicated to me that Caleb Plant was submitting. Because all he was looking for at this point, knowing that the fight's going away from him, knowing that he's tired and he's run out of things he can do to Canelo, he just needs Canelo's validation. Do you think I belong in the same ring as you? Just tell me I'm good. Let me leave with something tonight, Canelo. Please, just give me a crumb of comfort so I can go back to my change room and go, he respected me. That's when you know a fight's over. What did he say? Something along the lines of, I'm a pretty good guy for a 21 and 0. Canelo's like, yeah, whatever. And he goes, I'm not a bad fighter. Yeah, whatever. I'm really enjoying this fight. Canelo's like, <laughs> oh, me too. This is easy work. This is easier than my sparring. Do I enjoy fighters doing that? No, no, I don't. Just get on with it, really. And you can see the crowd getting agitated, but they didn't know the conversation that was happening in there. Because all it was was moving and fainting, moving and fainting. Canelo's getting his breath back. Caleb's just burning more energy because he's like, what the hell's going on here? But that was symptomatic of everything that went wrong in that fight. Now, I don't know what you do if you're Caleb Plant. Where do you go next after this? I, I think you just need fights like a Eubank Jr. You need those sorts of fights that that will challenge you and force you to reevaluate what you do and who you are. I don't think he's a bad super middleweight, but I do think 
he needs to work out who he is because he's taken a long way. He's taken a long time, sorry, to get to 21 and 0. He's been a pro for seven years. So what's he been doing for the last three years? And as for Canelo, well, he keeps proving that he's the best of his generation. He keeps proving that the old school is still the best school because it prepares you for the top level in a way that nothing else can. And we could probably have a wider discussion about that in terms of how sporting-wise we've become better at preparing people, but we've made people soft. I don't care what sport you look at, rugby, football, anything. These academy systems, the idea of hot housing talent and being able to create, create elite-level talent in the absence of a hardening process is ridiculous. Like, I look back on, on how I came up playing rugby, for example. And I, grew, I grew up playing with these old bruisers that used to play for Blackheath, Bedford, Coventry, all good-level players for their time. Really good amateur players. And what they were able to do, because they were older guys, they'd worked out how to slow down guys like me. They knew how to position the defensive line so I had very few options. They knew how to, how to tackle me so I was in no position to reach my support. All of these sorts of things that you don't learn in an academy because you're just playing against guys your age. It's all about being a super athlete. Which is cool until you play against guys who did come up that way. And they are super athletes too. Like the All Blacks and you struggle. English rugby punches well below its weight because our young players don't get to play with our old players. Because of this academy system. It's the same with football. We've lost the ability to be streetwise in games of football because these kids grow up in academies. They do not play with old veterans. And if they did, we'd have probably won a World Cup by now. And it's the same you're seeing it in boxing as well. We genuinely think there's a formula to success that bypasses the old school way. Nothing does. That's where you get your knowledge from. That's where you get your principles and your standards from. And that's what molded Canelo. People look at Canelo as a modern boxer. But they only look at the last 10 or 15 fights. They don't look at the preceding 45 where he was building his name and his reputation, and he was just inching along slowly. They built him slowly, but never gave him soft fights. Always a fight that would test him a little bit more. I don't see that with Caleb Plant, and I don't see that with a lot of prospects coming through now. We didn't see it with Joshua. Joshua's having his hard fights now when he's reached the top. And that benefited him from a business perspective, but slaughtered him from a legacy perspective. Because he'll never get that toughness. When you're running around looking for that inner dog and you have to go to America to do it, that's a problem. Canelo doesn't have to because this was all kind of tested well before he hit the top level. And that's a lesson we need to learn. You know, when you're looking at fights, stop buying into this notion that because he looked good in his last fight, he'll cause someone a problem. Unless you've done something at an elite level and you know that it won't fail you, you're potentially an accident waiting to happen. That's my take on it. That's what I took from this fight. The old school is the best school. Now, what do you do with Canelo now? 
I think there's only one fight for him to have at Super Mid if he even needs to have it, and that's Benavidez. But I think he beats him too. You know, you can have all the fast, snappy hands you want. But when Canelo's ripping you to the body, everything slows down. Punch output drops. Everything goes. You don't feel as strong. You don't feel as confident. You can't be the same David Benavidez when you're stood in front of Canelo. So once again, what do you do if you're Canelo? Do you fight Dimitri Bivol? Craig Richards showed could be an easy night's work. Do you fight Baturbiev? No. And, I, and it's not anything, oh, you should be scared. It's just the only reason people would want him to fight Baturbiev is they want to see him get knocked out. But here's the kicker. Baturbiev's not landing those shots on Canelo. And Baturbiev will know that. He's not landing those shots. The only hope he has is to outbox Canelo. Do you think that's going to happen? I don't. So that really leaves the realistic options. Canelo fights the people we want him to fight. The Eubank Juniors. The, uh, the Charlos of this world. The Edgar Belangas. The Jaime Munguiers of this world. And he just gives us box office fights now. But one thing we do have to stop talking about is this idea that there's a version of Canelo that would have beaten Floyd Mayweather. If you ask me where I pitch Canelo based on what he's done in boxing, I pitch him in that discussion with like an Andre Ward. You know, really good, amazing, great, first ballot Hall of Famer. But when you drop your list of top 20 boxers of all time, he doesn't make that list. And I'm loath to say that I'm a massive Ward fan. I think Andre Ward's special. But you don't put Ward in over Hagler. You don't put Ward in over Sugar Ray. You don't put Lloyd. You don't put, sorry. You don't put Ward in over Ali. You don't put Ward in over Foreman. You don't. And I feel the same about Canelo. You don't put him in that discussion. Because I think this generation he's having to go through is quite a soft generation. You take this version of Canelo that everyone's gushing over. How many rounds does he go with Hagler in 85? How many rounds does he go with Hearns at light, uh, super mid? Not super mid, super welter. How many rounds does he go with Sugar Ray Leonard at 154? All guys who are tough, all guys who can hit. He's competitive for a bit, but those guys will pull away eventually. So he's not in that discussion. And here's the difference. Floyd is in that discussion. Think about Mayweather. We praise Maidana for landing punches on him. We praise Shane Mosley for rocking him. Not dropping him, just rocking him. Floyd made... Juan Manuel Marquez, a future Hall of Famer, looked mediocre. He made Canelo look mediocre. And you felt he could have moved through the gears. He had Pacquiao in his back pocket in third gear. You can never question Floyd Mayweather because I genuinely don't believe we ever saw the best of Floyd Mayweather. I think there are a top five of his fights. But if you said to me he had to dig deep into his reserves of ability, he probably hasn't had to do that in his pay-per-view life. I think he's had it easy. 
in a way that Canelo hasn't. So let's not have the debate about whether you could, there's a version of Canelo that beats Floyd. The simple answer is there isn't, okay? There isn't. Don't at me. Don't do anything. Just, just, just keep going about your business. Keep walking. Don't even feel the need to message me about that. There is no version of Canelo created. There's no version of Canelo they could ever create that will beat Floyd Mayweather. That doesn't mean that Canelo Alvarez is not a great because he is. He's showing you what pound for pound is. Move up and down the waist and take the fights. I also enjoy how the public sentiment changes because when he was fighting Golovkin, he was a drug cheat. And those same people calling him a drug cheat are now in the quest for clout, talking about him being able to beat Floyd and so forth. And this is why we don't take boxing fans seriously when it comes to opinions because they'll just say whatever feels right in any given moment. And it's, it's shallow and it's vacuous and it's just boxing, I guess. But let's see what happens next. I'm sure Eddie will insert himself into these discussions and say, we'd love to do the Triple G fight on the zone and, oh God, ad nauseum. But I have a feeling Canelo will stay with PBC because it's a drama-free build-up. It's a negativity-free build-up. And you still get paid. And your brand is enhanced. And all you have is Eddie Hearn lurking in the background. Weird, isn't it? It's like... It's like being at school. Remember, and this is more for the guys. Sorry, ladies, but this is more for the guys because it's part of my own experience. Guys, remember at school, at lunchtime, you'd be playing football. And, like, a group of girls would come and just watch you. One of them probably liked you, but you liked somebody else. And that person you liked would be, I don't know, doing whatever they were doing. And so the young lady that likes you would just be there and they'd offer you a drink and they'd do all of this stuff. And you'd accept it and you'd smile and you'd be polite, but you knew it was going nowhere. And that's how, what I feel Eddie's position with Canelo is. He's useful to have, but when it comes to getting deals done, we go through Al. Al gets deals done. Eddie builds up hype, Al gets deals done. So I don't know what's going to happen there because it, it, it was a bit unsightly seeing Eddie go, yeah, you know, I'm here celebrating a fight I had nothing to do with, by the way. Nothing. Nothing to do with. Cringeworthy. Right? Just like the Scott, Scott Fitzgerald thing. Cringeworthy. You know, let's, let, let's come on to that. Apologies, I got interrupted by a phone call. But let's just touch on on Eddie, because I lost my train of thought, but I know what I need to talk about. Eddie went through a phase where he was, where matching were literally like Tinder. They were just swiping right on any boxer with a bit of a profile, a bit of amateur pedigree. If you had that USA vest on on Instagram, he was swiping right on you. And he did it. And we looked at these guys, we thought, okay, they're talented guys. But... <laughs> Eddie was like, why can't they fight for world titles in three years? And you're like, uh, because they're 15 fight amateur novices, Eddie. And so Eddie would put them in fights they weren't ready for because matchrooms, matchmaking is poor. It's terrible. It's ruined so many careers. And so Nkosi Solomon loses on his debut. Hearn blocks his number. Doesn't speak to Hearn again. Otha Jones III, when he lost, number got blocked. This is all that's coming out now. His number got blocked. Amo Williams, number got blocked. That's why he had the outburst. 
Because he's like, why would Eddie talk to me? Anthony Sims Jr. hasn't heard from Hearn since. So, when you look at Scott Fitzgerald, and you say, why would Hearn even open his mouth about Scott Fitzgerald when Eddie's done nothing to help him? I don't want to hear none of this, well, he's not technically a match from... No, I don't want to hear anything. I'd like to hear just some compassion. All it needs, like, actually, from Eddie's perspective, you just say, well, there are a lot of demons here. I wish he gets all the help he can from a matchroom perspective. If we can help, we will help, full stop. But Eddie's not like that. You know, he'll try and insert himself into the story somehow so, so he, it becomes about him. But here's the reality about Scott Fitzgerald. He was in London during the lockdown last year. And I saw him. I saw him round about Notting Hill. Well, probably more Labbrook Grove. And I, I was literally trying to get him on to record. Weird conversation, by the way. You know when you leave, you leave with an impression of someone and you're like, you're not in a good way, mate. And I know this because I've got mates like that. I've got mates who still struggle with drinking drugs. And they're battling demons buried so deep. And they're so incapable of telling you what those demons are. That you're literally watching a double-decker bus roll down a hill towards a school. And there's nothing you can do. If you look at Fitzgerald against Fowler, all Fitzgerald had in his head was, I want to beat Anthony Fowler. None of this world, cha world championship stuff. None of this, I want to be a Hall of Famer. I just want to beat Anthony Fowler. Because that will validate me. They said this guy was better than me. I've put that one to bed. That's one of the demons put to bed. And everyone was worried when they saw this guy two weeks after that fight, still on the lash. It was only a win against Fowler. And that told me that this guy's just exorcising demons. It's not really about boxing. Boxing is just one of the ways he can do it. And so to see the pictures of Scott Fitzgerald in a bad way, I don't know if he's homeless, but he looked like he was in a very dark place. It was a natural conclusion to the guy that I saw last year and all the noise that has followed since. And I think sometimes we forget this because boxing is such an exploitative sport. No one ever does a mental health assessment of the guys they sign. No one ever checks in on them and goes, are you okay? What's going on? How can I help? There's never that. And that's not a promoter's job, actually. That's your manager's job. That's your trainer's job. So who, who's washed their hands off Scott Fitzgerald? I don't imagine for a second Tony Sims would have allowed that to happen. I don't. I don't think Tony Sims would have allowed that to happen. I don't think Joe Gallagher would have allowed that to happen. I don't think Chris Smedley would have allowed that to happen. I don't think Chris Sanagar would have allowed that to happen. I don't think Adam Martin would have allowed that to happen. I don't think Eddie Lamb would have allowed that to happen. I don't think Mark Reigate would have allowed that to happen. I don't believe Tox... Owa would have allowed that to happen. I don't believe Pat Harris at Double Jab would have allowed that to happen. Because when you're in a position of care over someone, 
you help them until you've exhausted all of your options. But for Hearn to be talking about Fitzgerald fighting next year like he did so bullishly, but we all knew Fitzgerald was in a bad place. Now, once did Eddie go, actually, you know what? I'm going to speak to Scott, see where he's at, if he needs any help and support. We'd like to get him out next year. But if he's not right, he's not right. We'll wait for Scott Fitzgerald because he's always delivered for us. There are ways you can do it. And I know he's done an interview with IFL where he talks about this. So maybe he's done that now. But I'm not going to blame her. And I'm just going to say that the way Matchroom run things isn't good for a fighter's mental health. Now, I can't say Frank's any better either because Frank will blow you off as well. You know, despite the fun, cuddly images they like to portray in the media, these guys are horrible. Lives have been ruined because of these guys. And it's not just their fault. A lot of boxers fail to step up. But there isn't that kind of... The ramp down doesn't feel the same as the ramp up. That's what I don't like. The ramp up is... I mean, it, it happens as steady, it's consistent, it builds, it builds, and then when, when they ramp down, they just turn everything off. There's no off-ramp. And they wonder why boxers have mental health issues. It's a cruel sport. And I wish these guys could do better. Promoters, managers, trainers, I wish everyone could do better. And we'd have fewer Scott Fitzgeralds. I can guarantee that. All right, let's get back to the boxing. Um, Sky had a prize fighter tournament. It was won by Corey Gibbs. Good luck to Corey Gibbs. Why they dug up all of these has-beens, I don't know. Wasn't really a fan of it. Massive fan of Tasha Jonas on commentary. I think Sky have struck gold with her. I think you could you could sit and listen to her talk boxing all day. She doesn't overcomplicate it. It's really simple. You could tell she knows what she's talking about. And... I think sometimes we fill the screen with, with female boxers and athletes just to fill a quota. With Natasha Jonas, I feel she enhances the proposition overall because she's actually good at what she does. So, massive fan of that. I'm enjoying Adam Smith, actually. Uh, all it took was me, for me to listen to DAZN to realize I quite like Adam Smith. Enjoy Johnny Nelson. Wasn't really a fan of Calder on there. I just think he's a self-serving rat, to be honest with you. And I'd say that to his face. He had the boohoo man thing on. You know, he's trying to get a little, little free hamper, isn't he? he? He's shameless grifter. Absolutely shameless. The, the, the porky thing's not my business. I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave them to it. I just, I'm just not a Caldwell fan for the way he behaves. You know, I, that, that's why I'm not a fan of his. Because remember, he's the reason Umar didn't get the fight with Lerone Richards. Maybe if he got that fight, his career would be in a different place. That's Caldwell's fault. So now I'm not a Caldwell fan. I think he, he diminishes the brand. But in terms of boxer, I'm still, I'm still holding my counsel for this. Like They've got a show on the 20th. I'll know a bit more then. And then we'll see what the plan is for early 2021. I'm hoping that they're waiting for people to become disaffected with Frank and Eddie and come over. And then they're going to start building something. Because I'm not watching another one of those tournaments again. Yeah. Mediocre. Mediocre tournament. 
like Tom Farrell, O'Hara Davis. <laughs> O'Hara Davis beat that guy so hard he went from a Liverpool to an Everton fan. Simple as that. Masha Dodd, was it written that dealt with him? Like, like two minutes, man. Like, you could have had the countdown music for that one. So we didn't need to see those guys again. There's just a few quid for someone. And I don't even think they earned that much to justify it. Man. But good luck to Corey Gibbs. He goes onwards and upwards. And let's see what he can do. In terms of the Frank show, absolutely delighted for Denzel. Um, won't say too much because I haven't rung him yet to talk about the fight. You know, I will say it was good for him to come back. It was good to see him more aggressive in the middle of the ring. Um, still some things where I'm like, oh, come on. But, you know, I'm always going to be like that. Um, Nathan Heaney. I love the fact that Nathan Heaney just boxes like he's on a white collar show. No pretense at perfection, no pretense at technique or fundamentals. He's just like, I sell tickets. When I hit you, I'll tell you when you fall over. Like, just shameless, isn't it? And then they had a... So it was just... It was a pretty terrible card, if I'm being honest with you. Don't even know why they had it out. It didn't make any sense. Maybe they just needed a show before the Canelo thing. Like, yeah, I'm literally going to come in and watch this BT show to get revved up for Canelo versus Plant. I don't know what Frank's doing. Maybe the people around Frank are just so out of touch with boxing. This is the rubbish we're going to get. Or maybe Frank's realised that BT are off in a different direction. And actually, why is he wasting his time? Keep paying me the money. I'll keep putting on below average shows. And then I'll work out what I want to do with the rest of my stable and the rest of my life. But it's, it's, it's not great. I'm not enjoying it. And, you know, Eddie Hearn is winning. Not because he's done anything great, but because everyone else is dropping the ball around them. Like, when are Channel 5 going to announce Isaac's opponent? How have we got so many televised promoters and no one has signed Chris Congo? Well, maybe they have now. I have no idea. This is how bad it is. I don't know. Someone signed Chris Congo? He hasn't been out. When are we going to get Chris Congo out? No idea. And on the subject of it, good to see Dean White, you know, putting his money up and actually having a prospect show, I think it was in Kingston. And so he's, he's now on the road with Black Box Management to making his money. So kudos and congratulations to him. Well done to the Irish ladies on their GB camp. Heard there was some really, really high quality sparring there. You know, you had Kelly Harrington, uh, Amy Broadhurst representing Ireland as well. You know, monsters. And then obviously you've got the, the GB contingent, Lauren, Karis and everyone. So good to see that the ladies are still working together. And on that subject, salute to Hannah Rankin for becoming a world champion. And look, I'm a cynic when it comes to women's boxing, and I think the standards should be higher. But I also remember where Hannah Rankin came from. She isn't supposed to be in the discussion that she's now in, but she's made it this far. And you, can, you just have to salute her. And she's so humble with it. And she's, she's hard to find anyone that doesn't like Hannah Rankin, is how I look at it. And so... I respect her, and she's making me a respecter of those aspects of women's boxing, because I've always been a fan of the elite level, but Hannah's now showing, listen, while the sport's forming and developing, I'm going to show you what I can do. You might not be able to get a Hannah ranking in five or six years because of the guys who are coming through the international system, I don't know, but right now she's doing her thing, so we have to, 
we have to salute that onwards and upwards for her. And I'm glad that, you know, she can wear the belt with pride and she gets some publicity and she can hopefully build on this. So, you know, kudos to her. I know they're having another, from an amateur perspective, there's another training camp happening now. The Australian girls have just arrived. I think they're in Sheffield as I'm speaking now, unpacking. Well, they're the messages I'm getting. So there's going to be a multi-nations squad up there in Sheffield. Uh, people to get excited about, obviously, Kay Scott will be doing the Worlds at 81. I think Caitlin Parker for Australia will be doing it at 75. Let's see if she's improved since the Olympics. And there'll be a few others. So that'll be good, actually. Some good sparring. You know, will we get big K versus little Lauren? Let's see what happens there. I uh, still don't know the other countries. I'll find those out tomorrow. But it's good to see that the amateur stuff's kicked on again. I'm probably going to have to do another episode where I talk about the World Championships. I thought they were really good. And America looked like they're back in a serious way. Like, whew. They've got some serious, serious talent coming through. And that this isn't even like guys who did the Olympics. This is the post-Olympic breed. Crazy. Uh, and then last thing. Thank you to everyone who appreciated the, the dating app advice. But I need to reiterate, guys. I really need to reiterate. Don't use these tricks and hacks as a means of you know, shortcutting the system to then be a scumbag. You know what I mean? The whole thing is, don't, you know, let's not play these games without the intent of making the lady at the end of the process happy. Right? If you're just doing it to collect your numbers and to flatter your ego, it won't last long. You know, you get a couple of shots at a game like this. And what you're, what you're trying to do is harvest and build a good legacy and demonstrate that you're a good human being. Treat people well. And maybe today we don't get along. But at least I now know you exist. And maybe further down the line something can happen. But if you're there just trying to trying to horn dog these girls and being desperate and, you know, acting all submissive and clowning around, it ain't going to work and it definitely ain't going to last. So use it wisely and don't be in a rush like I told you. If you do this right, your number of likes won't diminish because the algorithm will keep pushing you to the top. So you're in no rush. Work on yourself. Get your pictures right. Get your story right. Work out where you're going to go on the first date. Be a man of substance because when this does work for you and it will invariably work for you, you don't want to drop the ball. Now, if you're not built for that yet, cool. Don't rush it. That hack isn't going away anytime soon. You know, they can find technical solutions to all the all the bots and the, the code, the code hacks you can do. But social engineering is too real. It's something they still can't deal with. So use it wisely. That's what I can say is use it wisely. You know, I don't want people saying, yeah, you know, Terry helped me become a scumbag. No, 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 no. Be a good human being. Yeah. That's the default position. If you listen to this podcast, my assumption is that you're a good human being and you conduct yourself as such. We don't do scumbags on here. There's no need. There are other outlets for that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't record to provide entertainment to people who want to be horrible to other people. For what? doesn't make any sense. And on that note, I'm going to sign off because this has gone on longer than I thought it would and my leg's gone dead, I'm not going to lie.
So I'll be back at some point this week. I feel better now. I was ill last week, man. I, either I had the cold or the flu or something, but that, whoo, whoo, felt that one. It felt right in my rib cage. But now nah, I'm back now. You know, the road to 100 continues. You take care. Bye.